Hey, hey, friends. This is Eric, and welcome to Anti-Visions. Welcome back, everybody. Since I did the last podcast on San Diego schools and the grading scale, I've got another article here that's more recent, January 5th, 2021, about San Diego Unified School District as well, called Radicals in the Classroom by Christopher Rufo. And this talks more about the the kinds of training and things that teachers are being told in these schools, which obviously is going to trickle into the schools. And, and as, uh, as I'll discuss more, there's a broader California curriculum that, that actually embraces these ideas. So it's not just an isolated incident. But it says... The San Diego Unified School District has been radicalized. In recent months, the district has announced mandatory diversity training for teachers. Okay, I'm going to stop there. There's nothing wrong with diversity training, okay? But what's being taught in the diversity training? Diversity training for a long time was benign in, in, a, in the sense that it didn't accuse certain people groups of sin or of oppression or, uh, you know, tell them that they have to dismantle their identity or, you know, locate themselves on the oppression matrix or these kind of things. So this is, again, it's a semantics thing. We can say, well, they announced mandatory diversity training. Well, honestly, some people do need some diversity training and and some, a little bit more sensitivity. Uh, But unfortunately, it just becomes so inundated with critical race theory that, you know, we're at a point where uh, we would do best just to step back from all of the stuff so that we can get this poison out. Okay, so they did a mandatory diversity training for teachers. So that's just this past school year, added a new ethnic studies curriculum focused on racial grievance, Hmm, a curriculum focused on grievances. Another way of saying that is offenses. And and when you focus on grievances and offenses, that produces something called resentment, uh, which is, is not actually a healthy emotion for people. It, it, it's a real one that people deal with. But um, when you make that your focus and you're trying to engender that in your students, that's not a good thing. So I'm going to go on in the article. And they even abolished the requirement to turn in homework on time. All in the name of becoming, in the words of school board member Richard Barrera, an anti-racist school district. Last month, this is Christopher Rufo in the article, he says, I reported on one of these training sessions focused on, quote, white privilege, in which white teachers were accused of being colonizers on stolen Native American land and told, quote, you are racist, and, quote, you are upholding racist ideas, structures, and policies, close quote. The trainers demanded that the teachers, quote, confront and examine their white privilege, quote, acknowledge when they feel white fragility, and, quote, teach others to see their privilege. After the story caused an uproar, school officials defended the training as a form of, quote, racial healing. So I'm going to pause there. Now, 
you can believe what you want about white privilege. People debate it all day long. Um, people like to have their own version. If you if you go with the critical race theory version, I think it's I think it's racist and I think it's wrong completely. Uh, I know that there are softer versions that people would like to embrace. I. Th- whatever i'm not going to get into it so think what you want but we're going to talk about the fruit like we're going to talk about what's the manifestation of teaching teachers that they have white privilege and not only that not only do they need to confront and examine their own white privilege they need to teach others to see their privilege well who is the others it's the students okay so so let's define more. What what are they saying to them? They're saying, well, you're a colonizer on stolen Native American land. Okay, so that's that's the white people are at fault for that. And you are a racist. Now, in any other context, I would think that's a slander, right? To be accused of something that's not based on your behavior, not based on anything you've said or done or demonstrated in any way. Uh, you can read Robin D'Angelo's book, she is very clear in defending the idea that white people are racist regardless of even if they're married to somebody who is African-American, even if they have siblings or, you know, lots of friends that that she she says, you know, it, it doesn't matter basically about your individuality, your individual character. So we're looking at a collectivist mentality where it justifies pointing at someone not knowing anything about them or who they are, and just saying straight up, you are racist. It also sounds to me like something that's a breach of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, where there was this push for equality, right? Where where everybody is treated the same, where, where you can't be discriminated against, that's a better way to say it, based on your race, based on your religion, based on your beliefs or your politics even. But here, because of the color of someone's skin, and again, you know, if if you have white skin, you could be Polish and Jewish. You could be from, you know, Czechoslovakia. You could be there. It's it's ridiculous. Just in the same way that, uh, you know, I've I've heard I was at a training where a lady was saying, well, people like to see black people as a monolith. And I'm like, well, I don't. And. But it's amazing that you're turning around and in the same breath saying that white people are a monolith. Um, Aside from that, it's just wrong to accuse people of racism unless they actually said or did something racist and tell them that they're upholding racist ideas, structures, and policies. Okay, so let's go on. I'm going to read more. According to new whistleblower documents, and this article, I will put it, I always put as much as I can in in the notes uh, of my podcast, like the resources and things like that. And in this article, Christopher Rufo has a hyperlink to those whistleblower documents. San Diego Unified held an even more radical training program featuring a speaker who believes American schools are guilty of the, quote, spirit murdering of black children. The school district hired Bettina Love, a critical race theorist who believes that children learn better from teachers of the same race for the keynote address at the August Principal Institute and for an additional district-wide training on how to, quote, 
challenge the oppressive practices that live within the systems and structures of school organizations. Though the school district explicitly forbade attendees from recording the session, one whistleblower took detailed notes of the speech and captured screenshots of the presentation. According to these notes, Love began her presentation by claiming that, quote, racism runs deep in the United States, and that blacks alone, quote, know who America really is. She argued that public schools in particular, quote, don't see blacks as human, are guilty of systemic, quote, anti-blackness and, quote, spirit murder babies in the education system. I'm going to stop there. Now, I can't speak for California schools. I can't speak for San Diego. Uh, I have serious doubts about her accusations nonetheless. I can't speak about, uh, you know, schools from other states, but I can speak about the schools that I work in, the district I work in, and the state that I'm in, and say that anybody I've met that works in inner city schools is a special and unique person. And the people who hate it or don't like it, they don't last. And so there are so many great people in education who genuinely take a vested interest in these kids and want to help them as much as possible. It's like, I mean, I know it, this is a sin for anti, uh, for uh, Ibram Kendi, but it's a missional kind of mindset. And I don't mean missional as in, you know, bringing the gospel to them. I mean, just helping reach kids so that they can have a life that is broken out of the cycle of poverty and incarceration that that their you know that their family members are entrenched in and that's not a bad thing at least not in my opinion um and and so if there's any institution that's really on the front lines that's really working towards it i'm sure you could find some examples throughout the country where there are maybe teachers or schools that were just basically laying back and taking advantage of their position and don't really care about the kids i think that's probably less and less these days i can't imagine you can get away with it with all of the accountability that gets put on schools but to make these accusations is just ridiculous to say that they don't even see blacks as human. I mean, I, I don't what I, what century is she from? What decade is she from? What planet is she from? And guilty of systemic anti-blackness and spirit murdering babies. I mean, what what is that? Okay, so on to Christopher Rufo's article. The concept of spirit murder... Oh, here we'll find out. The concept of spirit murder is at the heart of Love's teachings. In a recent article, and it's linked here, in Education Week, Love writes that public schools are guilty of the spirit murdering of black and brown children, which she defines as a death that is built on racism and intended to reduce, humility, humiliate, and destroy people of color. Stop. Okay. So... The public schools are not only murdering um, the spirits of black and brown children. It's it's a death that this is it's built on racism and its intention. The, these schools are their intention, not just accidentally, but intentionally, 
are reducing, humiliating, and destroying people of color. It's like a uh, an incredible conspiracy theory. So back to the article. During the presentation in San Diego, Love added that supporting Black Lives Matter is a, quote, cheap symbolic gesture that will not start, stop the spirit murder of minority children in schools. Well, I agree with her on that. At the end of her presentation, Love told the teachers that whites are directly responsible for the plight of dark children. That's quote-unquote dark children. In a slide labeled, quote, teacher education gap, Love argued that, quote, whiteness reproduces poverty, failing schools, high unemployment, school closings, and trauma for people of color. Close quote. She insisted that, quote, white educators must take responsibility because they created and derive privileges from white supremacy culture. Okay, so I'm, I'm just going to stop there. Now, I agree that white educators must take responsibility. Not for the things she says. I just think that adults, whether they're white or any color, need to take respo- be responsible and take responsibility for their role. So as an educator, um, you know, especially at the school I taught at for one of the schools I was at for about 12 years, very, very difficult demographic. You, you could bellyache all day long about the things that happen outside the walls of the school and in families and at, at home and all those things. But the mentality of our staff was, we're going to do our best with what we have control over. You know, it, you can't, you can't surrender to these outside influences. Now, I think those outside influences are real, but we took responsibility for our part and our role. Now, what she's talking about here is responsibility because they're, the white people are the ones who created and derive privileges. They created privilege for themselves and derive privilege. So are we saying, aside from the fact I don't agree with that, um, I would also, because you're throwing everybody in there. Now, were, were white people responsible for systemic structures decades ago and then even centuries ago? Absolutely. Were all white people? No. I mean, it's this is infantile to reduce everyone to one identity group, to want, you know, to be collectivist and just heap everybody into the pile, right? So she insists that they derive privileges from white supremacy culture. Okay, uh, and I'll come back to that because she also said whiteness reproduces poverty, failing schools, high unemployment, school closings, trauma. So basically everything everything that is harmful to especially African-Americans, it's whiteness that's behind it. Now, if I didn't know any better, I would think that's racist. And I still think it's racist. I, I do know what she's talking about. So there's this whiteness theory. So, and, and then it allows people like her, like love, to claim, I'm not talking about white people, I'm talking about whiteness. But then she turns around and talks about white people and, and basically does not believe that people can separate themselves from whiteness. Whiteness is a supposedly a, a culturally, you know, a socio-cultural construct that was developed over time. But, but ultimately, the way I see it, the way they talk about it, 
is it's like the matrix you know the movie the matrix you're stuck inside the matrix you can't get out of it it might be it might be a construction that's artificial but you're stuck in it nonetheless and so you can't separate here you can't separate white people from whiteness according to this theory over and over the way it plays out and just aside from that, like I said, back to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, I can't believe it's a workplace in America where people are being discriminated against and being told that, you know, their whiteness is what's causing some of the worst problems. I mean, you want to talk about being accused of something really terrible, reproducing poverty, failing schools, high unemployment, school closings, trauma for people of color, incarceration. That's a really big deal. And yet it's happening in this country. And it's all under the guise of anti-racism. It's all under the guise of equity, and which I don't agree with equity either. I, I believe in equality, not equity. They're very different. Um, and basically, I don't know. I'm Somehow, as a nation, there's so much guilt that we're allowing this to go on. And there's also a lot of money to be made for a lot of parties as well. I think there are a lot of other causes. Back to the causing in uh, correlation thing I've talked about before. I don't think there's just one cause of all of this. It's a perfect storm. So back to the article. Declaring that reform will not work, Love argues for, quote, abolitionist teaching, a pedagogy designed to, quote, remove oppression from its roots. Whites, according to Love, must make a special effort during the presentation in San Diego as part of a list of abolitionist teachers' demands. Love told white attendees that they must undergo anti-racist therapy for white educators in order to overcome their racism, ignorance, and history of harm. Once they have proven themselves, they can become, quote, co-conspirators in the campaign for, quote, abolition. So this is starting to sound like a cult, right? So, you know, it's like you're told there's you're unclean, there's something wrong with you, you need to go to therapy. Like, I don't know who you are, I don't know your background, I don't know if you're an immigrant, I don't know your parents' background, I just know that the your melanin tells me this about you, and therefore it's true, and you have to get, undergo therapy, and then... Through this therapy, you have to be, you know, re-educated, right? And when you go through this re-education process, you have to go through maybe a rite of passage. She doesn't say that, but she says they have to prove themselves. And then when you prove yourself, then you earn your membership as a co-conspirator, even though you have that melanin still. It's a problem, but but at least, you know, if you stay in that spirit of, of self-deprecation, then you can continue on as a co-conspirator. And move for abolition. So back to this idea. She argues for abolitionist teaching. She says, reform will not work. So she's saying, I don't want reformation. You know, reform is when you come in and you take what exists and you fix the things that are messed up. You know, you get rid of some of the things that you don't need and you bring in new ideas, you reinfuse, reinvigorate. That's that's reform. You know, it, it, it's like uh, refurbishing a home or something like that or, or maybe like renovating a home, uh, an old home, and you come in and you renovate it, okay? But she's saying, no, that won't work. You need to abolish. You need abolitionist teaching. So if you think about like a house, 
house, you're looking and saying, no, it doesn't matter. We could we could get in there and gut it and we could bring in new lumber, new materials. We could do all these different things, but the whole thing is jacked up. So we need to just completely demolish the house. Well, how does that apply to education? We're going to demolish the whole thing, abolish the whole thing, abolitionist teaching. Okay. So I don't, I don't think that's all she's talking about. She's talking about abolition of of whiteness. She's talking about all, you know, it's a very broad idea she has here. Abolitionist teaching. Um, Well, I'll just let you muse over that. So on with the article. According to standardized test scores, only 37% of San Diego's fourth graders are proficient in reading, and only 42% are proficient in math. Black and Latino students perform substantially worse. The language of spirit murder and abolition might make for an emotionally charged Zoom presentation, but it won't do anything to help struggling students. In fact, as charter school operator Ian Rowe argues, San Diego's policies are a, quote, modern-day version of the soft bigotry of low expectations, unquote, that will, quote, dumb down the grading system for all. Now, I'm just going to pause there for a second, because that statistic, that 37% of San Diego's fourth graders are proficient in reading, is staggering, because they're um, there's overwhelming evidence that if a student cannot read by third grade, then they are highly unlikely of graduating high school. And if that's the case, then they're very likely of becoming someone who eventually will be incarcerated as well. So this is a massive failure and in many ways seems to be a diversion from that failure rather than figuring out how can we improve literacy rates. What about spirit murder and resentment and, you know, teaching kids uh, about their white privilege and being ones that are are supposed to wake them up from their oppression? What is that going to do for their literacy rate? Um, These are just the wrong wrong questions and wrong solutions honestly it's it's sad because the kids who are going to pay the price for it are those you know what is it 63% of students who are are in fourth grade and they can't even read at a mastery level they they don't even have a a, a grip on literacy that will allow them to actually graduate from high school because at that point statistically they're not going to make it unless there's some kind of massive intervention but we know those are only few and far between those are the you know the amazing hero stories right so this is remarkable that a school board can get away with focusing on these kind of things rather than being fired for their failure to uh, to get the correct people in there that can actually get these kids to succeed for coming up with the soft bigotry of low expectations by saying, hey, we'll just change their grade. So yeah, before it was an F, well, you know, now it'll be a B. And oh, they didn't do their work outside of class. Well, oh, well, you can't count that against them. And it doesn't change anything. And it won't change their literacy rate. So back to the article. Nonetheless, the anti-racism narrative has tremendous momentum in modern educational institutions. 
And Christopher's right, because it's not just in San Diego, friends. It's not just in California. It's all throughout the country, and it's probably in your neighborhood. If it's not, it's it's in the town next to you. It's all throughout the country. And I will read stories from west to east coast, down to Texas, you know, up through the, the Midwest. It's, it's remarkable um, what's going on. This is not an isolated incident. So this reduces, Christopher says, complex phenomena to a simple explanation of white racism and lets teachers of all racial backgrounds shift blame for failing schools to the abstract forces of, quote, systemic oppression. Eventually, however, there will be a price. School districts such as San Diego Unified can spend millions on trainings, speeches, and diversity audits, but none of these efforts is likely to result in better academic results. While the leadership of San Diego Unified promotes the anti-racist agenda, Resentment is growing among teachers and administrators. The whistleblower described the district's embrace of race trainings as insidious and said many employees are reluctant to speak out for fear that they will be accused of racism. Some evidence also suggests that parents are beginning to mobilize, but they will meet stiff resistance from the radicals at the helm of many school districts. For now, we should expect these ideological campaigns to intensify. And thank you, Christopher Rufo. This is posted in City Journal. He is, uh, in many ways, the for- forefront leader in exposing uh, these kind of things happening in the schools and government institutions. He's a great mouthpiece, a, a lightning rod, and just a, a really great guy. So I-, I refer to him often, and I'm really grateful for his work. Uh, because parents need to know what's going on with their kids. And the media, the mainstream, the corporate media likes to turn it into a politicized thing and say this is a Republican thing, this is a conservative thing, you know, and, and, and you know, to, to scare people to not resist. But the reality is that there are people from the right and the left who are parents who are standing up against this. Uh, it's not just one political persuasion. And there are people not just who are white people, but black people and Asians and different ethnicities that are standing up against this. Regardless of what the mainstream that you know wants to project, uh, really to instill fear in people to tell them, you better not stand up against this. Because if you do, you're going to be labeled a, a Republican and therefore a Trumpite and therefore a white supremacist. Um but it's just, it's simply not true. You need to know that there are so many people with their head on their shoulders and they recognize the damage it will do to their children. And this one thing when people have political beliefs and ideologies, but if they're not just absolutely possessed with those ideologies, you start messing with their kids and they're going to stand up. They might not stand up at work. They might not stand up uh, uh, for, for their neighbor, but you mess with their kids and they start to stand up. So we really need to get the word out about what's happening with our young people so that parents know and they're not shocked and not duped into hearing, well, it's just diversity training. It's just ethnic studies. It's just cultural sensitivity. So I'm going to leave you with that. And I look forward to next time, friends. See you.